And it strikes me that whether you're at home or you're here in the building, you're probably, not definitely, but probably going to be in one of three possible groups. Uh, the first group is you, you might be somebody who is right now, tonight, is in the, in the thick of it. And you're going through a really difficult time, yet you're battling with the sapping silence of unanswered prayer. Uh, and uh, you're asking that very question, how am I going to get, wh whatever this is, how am I going to get through this? Uh, whether it's a bereavement, uh, or it's something that's gone wrong, or a relationship that's failed, uh, or a really terrifying uh, diagnosis, uh, whatever it is. Uh, so you're, you're living with it today. And if that's you, uh, we can definitely help, and we can definitely support you. Uh, the second group of people are people maybe who are making sense of that kind of experience. Because you've had an experience six months ago, six years ago, whenever it was, when you, you definitely, you know, you remember. Some of the terror's worn off, but some of it's remained. You remember what it's like to be so overwhelmed uh, with terror and with not being able to cope that you just think your life is sort of caving in. And what we hope we can do for you is to try and help you capture some of the lessons that you've learnt. Because it's really unlikely uh, that that's the only time in your life we, we are going to experience that. The third group of people, and there may be some of you here, are, are people, in a sense, for whom this kind of struggle and this kind of feeling like you're in a life or death situation is still to come. And you'd say, you know, I've, def I've had some difficult times, but I've, I've never had an experience where I felt overwhelmed to the sense that I can't cope. And if that is you, firstly, don't feel guilty. It's not a competition. Uh, but rather, let's try and get your head and heart right now. Because uh, when those times come, and they, they will come, uh, what happens is that our head and our heart turn to mush, and all of our good sense and experience goes out the window. So it's really important that you've thought about it, in a sense, and you've prepared uh, for it. So one of three groups, I don't know which one you're in, you might be in the thick of it, you might be trying to make sense of it, or you might think, well, it still lies ahead. Well, we really feel that we're able to, to help and support all three groups. Uh, alongside the series of sermons that you're going to be hearing in the next few weeks, uh, we would definitely recommend a book. Uh, the book is called uh, God on Mute. Uh, we copied the book. The book didn't copy us, just to be clear. Um, and it's by a guy called Pete Gregg. And it's just a really good book. It goes into a lot more detail than we can. Um, in our small groups, if you're a member of one of our uh, regular small groups, we'll be looking at a course that is called the Unanswered Prayer Course. And then in a few weeks' time, I know some of you may have gone home, but in a few weeks' time, uh, we're going to have something called the Holy Week Experience. Um, it's going to be in Holy Week, amazingly. Uh, and you'll have the chance to come and engage with some of these themes, as well as to pray uh, with people like that. But tonight, uh, we are studying Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Uh, and Gethsemane was a, a garden. And if you've been to Jerusalem, uh, the, the likely uh, setting of the garden is just outside the old city. And it's uh, full of kind of uh, olive trees. And it was night. And so it would have felt very moody and eerie. 
and Jesus had just shared the Last Supper with his disciples, and he knows that in literally within an hour or two, he's going to be arrested, and then everything's going to kick off. And Jesus had known, he'd known for months what was coming, and he'd been saying to his friends, this is what's coming. But I don't know if you've had an experience that if something's way out on the horizon, like two, three, four months away, you know that it's a difficult thing, but because it's so far away, it doesn't feel like a difficult thing. And then, then you get to it, whether it's an exam or an operation or a really difficult conversation or whatever it is. It's, it's, it's 10 minutes before that all your panic levels start to rise. And this is exactly how it is for Jesus. None of this took him by surprise. But yet, as he prayed quietly in this garden with some of his closest friends, he suddenly felt overwhelmed with fear and with reluctance at what was coming. And you've heard Graham read the whole passage. We're just going to focus in on the heart of Jesus' prayer. And it's a really beautiful pattern that all of us can both think about, but also that we can follow. And Jesus starts in a really important place. He starts with the word Father, or the word that he would have used in Aramaic, which was the language that he spoke, is is Abba, which is kind of like our way of saying Dad. So it's a kind of very familiar and loving way to address God. And we know already that this was one of the most startling and original parts of Jesus' praying. And he supremely uses it when he taught us the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus had that sense all through his praying of 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 an intimacy with God that was loving and respectful and close. And Jesus knows that his father is calling him to this path of suffering, but he knows just as well that he can, and in fact he must, plead with his father to be spared the suffering of the cross. And it reminds us that the power of true prayer is that it's about a relationship that we have with God. Now, just occasionally you'll find people trying to make prayer a technique. You sort of, where you learn uh, certain phrases to use, or you you learn certain ways of addressing God that are going to sort of, that are going to get you results. So, kind of like learning levers. And if you pull the lever hard enough, then God will give you what you want. That is not what prayer is about. Prayer, particularly when we're in a really difficult time, is about us relating to God and Jesus says the most important thing about that is is that we approach him as our good father one who wants to provide for us and care for us one of the most beautiful pictures that Pete Gregg uses in his book is and some of you will be able to relate to this is of a young infant maybe five six months old and this baby has got chicken pox and is really ill and a parent is up nursing that baby through the night. Now, if, if you're the parent in that situation, you can't explain in any detail to the six-month-year-old what is going on. You can't reassure them that this is just chicken pox and it lasts a few days and it's going to be okay. All you can do is hold them. 
I used to sing to our kids sometimes. Just, that was the thing. When, you know, when they were agitated. Maybe they got more agitated. But anyway, I used to sing, and you'd say, you'd say soothing words, and you'd stroke their hair. And, and that, that's what a parent does for a child who's in need. And, and Jesus wants to bear that kind of image in mind, that when, that when we're going through things, to the extent that we're thinking, how am I even going to get through this? We look to God as the best of and the most loving of our parents. You know, a father who just wants to cocoon us and, and draw us up and uh, comfort us. The second part of Jesus' prayer is he says, may this cup be taken from me. And by, by that way, he's using a, a picture that comes all the way sort of back from the Old Testament. And he's using a picture of, please, can someone else do this? I can't possibly do what I'm being asked to do. There's a, there's a beautiful simplicity and honesty about this, isn't there? And Jesus gives us permission, I believe, to grieve and to plead with God and to ask for God's intervention and his help. And we can learn, as Jesus clearly did from the Psalms. If you read most of the Psalms, uh, about a third of them, have an honesty with God that is not natural or comfortable to most English Christians. And that's because we spend so much of our time faking it. We fake it with God and we fake it with the people around us. Uh, we're worried about what God will make of the disorientation and the brokenness of our interior life, of all the ugliness and the pain and the fear that we see. And part of the reason that we do that is because we've not seen or heard other people pray like Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. We haven't seen or heard other people pray like many of the people who wrote the Psalms, where they're calling out in fear and anger and frustration and telling God, get a move on, do something, wake up, rouse yourself, God, that they say. Our problem is that uh, we uh, pretend and we show off uh, to God and other people. And by doing that, we're keeping him at arm's length. Now, we can only guess at the horror of Jesus' arrest and his betrayal and his trial and his flogging and his humiliation and his execution, you know, during which, as we'll see next week, he cries out, My God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? Now, can anybody think of a prayer that is more out of the depths than Jesus, the Son of God, crying out uh, to his Father, Why have you abandoned me? Now, we can only guess at the horror that he felt, but we can understand his desire to avoid it and his overwhelming fear that he would simply not make it. Now, can any of us Imagine that we were with Jesus in Gethsemane on that Thursday evening and thinking that we, that we could get through all that he was going to suffer even in the next 24 hours. Jesus both feared for himself on a human level, am I going to get through it? And he feared, obviously, as God's son, would he fail the mission that God had entrusted to him? Would he fail the world that he loves so dearly. 
Now, clearly, there is no rule, I wish there was, there is no rule that says if you get to the point where you can honestly and completely express to God the deepest fear that is lurking in your heart, that if you're able to do that, then God says, ah, it's okay, Simon's, he's reached sort of honesty, point zero, and so I'll do something really great, and I'll make sure that everything's okay. There is no rule that says that. But there are occasions when the challenge of expressing ourselves and our fears and the things that are really lurking in our heart, that doing that again and again to God, as Jesus did, that it strips back some of the layers of pretense and the layers of selfishness. And sometimes that leads to God's yielding in miraculous and amazing ways that bring glory to his name. And sometimes God's answer, as it was to Jesus, was to say, I'm going to keep holding you through the suffering that you experience. So part two of Jesus, the second sort of theme of Jesus' prayer was pleading with God that God would take away uh, this suffering that he's about to endure. The third, it was Jesus saying, yet not as I will, but as you will. And this is the moment of surrender where Jesus shows this awesome uh, combination of courage in God and humility and trust. And Pete Gregg in his book uh, talks about uh, a wonderful Christian from the Second World War uh, called Corrie ten Boom. Uh, some of you may have heard of her. And uh, she was uh, arrested uh, by the Nazis and was imprisoned in a prisoner of war camp in Germany. And she lived an amazing life, uh, went on after the war uh, to do some amazing things with the church, uh, particularly working for forgiveness and reconciliation. And when she was older, she was told that she was dying. And quite a few of her friends said, well, look, you're a great woman of faith. You know, why don't you pray for a miracle that God uh, would, uh, would heal you and make you completely better? And her response was to pray that God would do whatever would bring the most glory to Jesus. So if, if the most glory would go to Jesus by her being healed and being her being able to tell others about that healing, then she said, God, may that happen. But she also said, if the glory is going to come to God through her death in the peace and the hope of the gospel, then let that be the way that I bring glory to God. And that for her was what it sounded like and felt like to say, yet not as I will, but as you will. I'd like to look back at the big picture for a moment. Two things to say. The first one is this. It seems obvious, but we need to say it to each other. God does not answer all our prayers in the way we want them answered. Now that may be a big relief to some of you. God does not answer all our prayers in the way that we want them answered. And we're just, in these next few weeks, we're just going to be digging into that and thinking about why that is and what we can do about it. But the thing to say tonight is, unanswered prayer is not a sign of failure on our part, as though we haven't impressed God enough. It's not God giving us back our homework, saying, you can do better. 
Way too many people have been made to feel an extra and an entirely unnecessary level of guilt uh, that they are to blame when something goes wrong in their life. There will always be prayers that are unanswered and some of them will be prayers that come from our very soul. It doesn't mean that God hates you or God finds fault in you. The second thing we need to say is that we will all face seasons when our souls shrink back from the path of suffering and pain and rejection. It'll come in many different forms. I've faced that on several occasions and I've sat with countless sisters and brothers who've no idea how they're going to get through the next week. I'd just like to air two questions as we close. The first one is this, what, what can we do as a church community about all of this? And in particular, what can we do about this knowing that every week, probably, there are dear sisters and brothers like Liz who are here with us either in the building or online and, and they're still stuck in a moment of numbing catastrophe. And the temptation is, do we feel guilty about that? Uh, do we feel too embarrassed to be able to talk to them? I think there's a couple of things that we can do. The first one is, we can sing the blues together as a church. And let me explain what I mean. To be a biblical church means we have to sing the blues. We have to take up the psalms of disorientation and confusion and anger, and we have to make them part of our worship so that part of what we're expressing to God when we come together is not only joy and confidence, but it's also some of the ways in which our hearts are breaking. And that's partly about what we see in our world. You know, how, can you, how can we look at our phone and see what's going on in Ukraine and not come to church and worship with a sense of significant dis-ease where we want to say to God, you know, come on, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Why are we seeing suffering on such a scale? Why, why, I just keep saying to God, why aren't you doing something about Putin? Now, how can one man cause so much evil and distress? And there has to be room for that kind of prayer in our singing and in our praying. So we need you to help us you know, share with us the songs that help you do that. And we've sung some great songs tonight. We always sing great songs. But we've got to make room for the songs that express doubt and fear and the, the things that are really niggling at us deep in our hearts. If you lead prayers with us, lead prayers in a way that helps us together to cry out to God about what's happening in our world. There is a danger in our particular style of worship that we're going to praise faking it over the, the blues. That's what we're just going to prefer stuff that is all about froth and that doesn't have a deep heart and substance to it. I'm not saying that's what we do, but that danger is always going to be waiting for us. And if we stay in that place, then we just become shallow 
and we mislead other people. God has given us wonderful resources in his word. It's not simply about venting our emotions and sort of splurging it all out melodramatically, but it is about learning to express our deepest anxieties to God, both privately in our prayers and publicly when we come here together without any pretense or shame. That's the first thing we can do. The second thing we can do is that we can allow what we have suffered to begin to make us more compassionate with others. Now, suffering does not guarantee compassion and a gentle spirit. I've met too many people uh, who've suffered a lot and have just turned really hard and bitter. But suffering can, in God's grace, prepare us to love and care for other people. And so please be alert for those moments when you can demonstrate the beauty of compassion because you have some idea of what the other person is going through. It doesn't have to be exact, it doesn't have to be a precise match, but it does mean that if you've suffered and if you've cried out to God and if you've found that God has carried you like a small child through a really difficult season, then guess what? It uniquely prepares you to do that for other people so that you're not going to rush in with a cliche or a quick fix. And you're going to bring with you a quiet confidence that God is to be trusted and that God will not abandon the person that you're spending time with. He won't forsake them. He won't run away from them. So we, let's find ways of singing the blues together, finding a musical expression for the, for the whole range of things that the Bible tells us and the whole range of emotions that erupt within us. And let's uh, allow the suffering that we've had in God's grace to make us more compassionate. A question as we finish. What do you do, uh, wherever you are tonight, what do you do if you are stuck right now you're part of that first group who are in that downward spiral of unanswered prayer. All the agony of that. And if you could talk to me tonight, right now, you'd say either I can't pray or I just mouth the words. And what you've done is that you've just kind of backed away from God and you've found yourself in a, in a situation of great disappointment and frustration some really simple things to say as a close. The first one is, you have a home here, and you have friends here, and people that will delight to support you and won't rush to judgment about you or blame you. The second thing is, if you can, find a way to restart your prayers. For me, in moments of great difficulty in my life, I've found, personally speaking, that writing down my prayers has been the only way I can pray. There's just been times when I can't literally bring myself to say the words, but there's something, for me, there's been something about writing them down. For other people, it's go and shout them in an empty field or sit quietly with a friend. It, you'll know what it is, but find a way to begin to pray. And Jesus gives us this brilliant map 
or this kind of process, journey to go on. The first one is we come to God with at least the sliver of a hope that he is good. He is a good father who loves us and wants to bless us. That's, our, that's the toehold. That's our way in. That We come to God as father. The second thing is that we tell God what the fear is. We tell him why it is that we think we can't cope. We tell him where the shrieking pain lies hidden. And we ask for God's deliverance. And last of all, we commit ourselves to bringing glory to God. And we say to God, look, I've, I've got to the place where the important thing is, I give you glory. And maybe that's through me continuing to suffer or my suffering not yet being resolved or maybe that comes through your deliverance and your healing or your uh, stunning intervention and we, we get to a moment as Jesus did where we say what I want is not anymore the most important thing and I, I trust you God this is a model it's a process it might take you days, it might take you weeks, it might take you weeks even to begin to say, I'm willing to believe that God is a good father to me. Let it take as long as it takes. At our Holy Week experience, uh, there are going to be people here for the whole week uh, at every single hour that we're open who will be able to listen to you and pray with you and it might be then that you want uh, to bring at those, at those half-formed prayers and share them with one other person. We're also going to have a chance to respond in prayer tonight uh, in a few moments' time. And then maybe you're ready just to say to somebody, I've run out of words and there's nothing left and I'm literally thinking, how am I going to get through this? Well, let's do that uh, together. We're going to pray a prayer together as we finish. It was written by someone fantastic who's called Ignatius. And it's a prayer that really summons up all the things we've been talking about and that journey of surrendering ourselves to God. So we could have had that prayer on the screen, please. That's great. Let's share this prayer together. O oh Christ Jesus, when all is darkness, and we feel our weakness and helplessness. Give us the sense of your presence, your love, and your strength. Help us to have perfect trust in your protecting love and strengthening power, so that nothing may frighten or worry us. For living close to you, we shall see your hand, your purpose, your will, through all things. Amen.